The following production is part of the Play Some Video Games Podcast Network. And welcome to Board with Video Games, the gaming podcast that strives for the right balance of coverage for games you play on your table and on your television. You can think of us as the Jeff Goldblum and Will Smith of gaming podcasts. We're a proud member of the PSVG Podcast Network and thrilled to be part of the Dice Tower Network as well. I am one of your hosts, Kyle, and joining me on this co-op adventure, the guy who does not go quietly into the night, who does not vanish without a fight, is going to live on, he's going to survive, Josh. How are you doing this evening? I am hot and bothered by being hot. <laughs> okay. I assume you mean weather and temperature. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, and if I'm Will Smith, I guess I'm also literally hot. <laughs> I guess. Okay. What's wrong with Jeff Goldblum? Are you saying Jeff Goldblum is I, an I prefer to be Jeff Goldblum out of the duo. <laughs> you would, so out of Will Smith and Jeff Goldblum. You choose to be Jeff Goldblum. I'm so fascinated with Jeff Goldblum as a human being. He has this cooking show on Funny or Die where he's just, he's um, the most bonkers human being that has ever existed and there's nobody like him. And he's he just seems so interesting to me. He's on my bucket list of people I want to meet. Um, and he's coming close at a con, but, you know, I don't want to meet him at, I don't want to meet him and pay him. $75 for a selfie. <laughs> that just seems ridiculous to me. Yeah, so I'll just well, stalk him and find him in an airport. <laughs> there you go. He's got to fly in to get here, right? And then That's watch. Right. He, he's quirky and he doesn't like to fly. So he's driving <laughs> some bus somewhere to come to this con. I'll find him. <laughs> so, you know, if you had to pick that you could only watch movies starring Jeff Goldblum or you yeah. could only watch movies starring will smith jeff Goldblum. really that yeah. quick of an answer for you yeah there's no question he's been in jurassic we got jurassic park yeah like a fly one of the greatest horror movies of all time okay we got independence day yeah it could go on i'm i'm waiting Earth girls are easy <laughs> i mean i didn't necessarily think you were gonna Classic. go there but <laughs> uh pretty much every um what's his name movie Royal Tenenbaums, uh, Zizu, West, uh, uh, Wes Anderson. Yeah, Wes, I was like, every Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. A I, lot. I, I was getting there. I was like, where? I like Will yeah. Smith, but I think, you know, um, Wild Wild West really brings his catalog way down. <laughs> Interestingly enough, I was reading something the other day, and I'm not going to be able to cite it, and I'm not going to be able to remember the exact number of years, but it was something, the quote was something along the lines that Will Smith has not been in a movie that was over 70% on Rotten Tomatoes in over 20 years. <laughs> yeah, him and Nicolas Cage, they have very <laughs> similar trajectories in their film career. Which is interesting because there were some movies in there that I thought were were good. He, he has done some movies that I feel like should be higher than that. I thought Focus was really excellent. Yeah. I enjoyed Concussion. So I, I thought there was that maybe at least those two would have been in the low 70s but they're the upper 60s even the netflix movie was good 
Bright. Score pretty low. Bright. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't watched that, and all I've heard is it's horrible. It's pretty good, especially if you like fantasy. Well, it's basically well, Training Day with Orcs. It's pretty good. I mean, but and they're doing a sequel. Netflix doesn't Training, training Day and sell. And also, didn't Max Landis write Bright? I know we kind of have to distance ourselves. So from that now kind of. I feel like I'm just not. Well, watching. we have to separate the art from the artist. You don't have to. Well, you don't have to, but we should be able to because Will Smith is a Scientologist. So then, I mean, where do you land on what's right and wrong? Oh, I should change my <laughs> recommendation for my. Uh, yeah, it's going to be another. My well-rounded life to going clear. That's what I should do. <laughs> have you seen that documentary? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty insane. It is uh, that movie. I, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, anyways, we don't cover religion on here. We should stay away from that. <laughs> we don't, we don't cover religion, and yeah, I will say this: it is our fireworks night for the city here. So, uh, if you guys all of a sudden hear um, explosions, maybe what you're hearing now. Um, I'm only a couple blocks away from where they launch the fireworks. So, oh yeah, if, you can totally hear. Them. It's not gunshots, just in case people are curious, because that also happens around here. <laughs> so, well, I will do my best to reduce the sound of them in editing, but we'll see what well, happens. Well, I'll do my best to mute when I don't have to. Well, it's okay. Talking. Maybe we just want it to be festive, because this will release on Independence Day, so we'll want everyone to have it be festive. Perfect. Enjoy the ambient noise of exactly. explosions behind me. <laughs> All right. So, hey, let's jump into the usuals. Thanks so much for joining us this week, everyone. If you have any feedback, questions, suggested topics, hit us up at Board with VG on Twitter or check out all the amazing things Josh posts over on the Instagram, also Board with VG. We are a proud part of PSVG and Play Some Video Games is on Patreon. We're absolutely thrilled with the support you have given us over there thus far. And if you'd like to monetarily support what we do, you can find us there at patreon.com slash PSVG. But the most important thing is just that you listen and maybe share what we do with someone else who you think might enjoy our podcast. And we are a member of the Dice Tower Podcast Network. So if you enjoy our conversations about board games and would like to dive deeper into that world, we encourage you to check out the Dice Tower Podcast, as well as all the other members of the network. No matter what type of board games you enjoy, there's a podcast on the network that is right for you. And depending on when you listen to this, maybe you're listening to it at Dice Tower Con. Who knows? Who knows? So, hey, enough of all this housekeeping. It's a news week, Josh. So what has been some of the news in the tabletop world? Well... The first news is uh, something that Kyle and I are both, I almost said involved in, and that's not the case. <laughs> we are, we are, <laughs> we are, we are, if, if affected by, but not participating in. We're in a secret group of people who get to look through glass at an event that not necessarily everyone knows is going Correct. on. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> uh, so uh, Kyle and I both backed a board game. Uh, on Kickstarter called Unbroken, uh, which is ironically described as a solo game of survival and revenge, uh, which this has wholly turned into. Yes, uh, <laughs> so there's a lot of backstory behind this, but I, I can tell you without reading anything first, um, Unbroken was a successful Kickstarter project. It, it is unique in the fact that there are not very many solo board games out there. At least there weren't when this came out. So it caught the attention of a lot of people as a very cool theme. Uh, and the person designed the game um, was very passionate about this. Now, something that happens on Kickstarter is after you make 
a game, you need to have a publisher. Even on Kickstarter, sometimes you need a publisher or a distributor or someone to get your game into people's hands. In this case, the person who created Unbroken chose Cold and Bell Studios to get their game into people's hands. Um, and then things got interesting. There was... This is going to be fun. You guys get to hear. <laughs> like they're getting louder. Uh, so guide me along this journey, Kyle, when I make a mistake. But to start where I would say became interesting was um, the project was funded. We, as a, a typical Kickstarter does, you wait to hear back from the the Kickstarter, and you usually are updated on progress as far as manufacturing, printing pieces, delays, all those things that are very common. Um, and something that happened uh, at some point was they realized supposedly they undercharged for shipping. Now, <laughs> current events may make me believe maybe someone uh, misquoted someone else on shipping costs or just wholly didn't take into account what this might uh, encompass. But we were then get getting emails as backers saying like, we're going to take a loss on this. And we're asking people voluntarily to pay for the extra shipping that's going to cost us to ship this game. And the people who do that will ship their games first. If you don't do that, we'll still ship your game, but you'll get it later because you didn't give us more money that we told you you were fine on shipping that you paid for already. Um, so I, obviously a lot of people uh, were not happy with that and they were vocal about it on the Kickstarter comment page. Uh, I would say Golden Bell didn't get defensive yet, um, but they were perturbed and the designer of the game um, was pretty frustrated he you know he didn't feel like he did anything wrong he was basically watching his profits go out the window um vis-a-vis colton bell studios telling him like what's happening and why you need to do all these things so uh, i think we probably went another month before we heard another update and then it was delays more delays and then like okay we're finally shipping things and then people started getting notifications from the United States Postal Service that their package arrived and then was promptly sent back to the shipper or that they had to pay extra money to pick it up because they shipped it media mail, which apparently does not qualify. Uh, so people started getting upset, calling the post office, calling, emailing Golden Bell Games, saying what's going on. And then they immediately launched into a uh, defensive <laughs> or an offensive defensive because it was pretty <laughs> uh, offensive in the militaristic way, not in the verbal way. Uh, basically, they started uh, uh, hitting back at their commenters, uh, criticizing them, insulting them, telling them, uh, why are you saying we're lying? Why are you saying we're doing these illegal things? It came to the point where they were shipping games with musical, like music sheets, so it would qualify as media mail, so they would save money on the shipping. So you'll get your game, and in the box is a is a, a, a sheet of music notes. So and it was wrapped around the game, so that potentially it wouldn't be inspected. And then they decided, 
Well, now, no, now you see that because we're including the soundtrack. So for free at no cost to you. So now you're getting this awesome soundtrack for free and we're sending it media mail. So it qualifies. So all these shady things started happening. Golden Bell got very um, upfront with their critics and then they started this woe is me campaign, I guess I'll say it. Uh, whether or not these terrible things happen to the people that work for Golden Bell, we'll never know. But they sent out an, a message to all Kickstarters. And unfortunately, it started off from the creator with what seemed to be a very um, clear, concise message. Um, but he let them tag onto his note, which really came across as, to me at least, that him backing what they're saying. Because what... <laughs> What happened after our nice message was a, I don't even know what you would call it, Kyle, uh, uh, a crazy tirade of, um, we're sorry, uh, also, you're terrible, also, why are you doing this to us, also, all these horrible things are happening to us, but also, thank you for all your support, but also, you're terrible people, and you're slandering us, and we could sue and all these things, and it was the most insane thing I think I've ever read that wasn't nonfiction. <laughs> Sorry, that wasn't fiction. <laughs> like, I couldn't believe what I was reading. Uh, maybe it is fiction. Who knows? Um, but it was insane. Uh, so we don't... I don't know where we're at now. They did threaten that people might not get their games now because they're under investigation, even though they said at another point, Everything they're doing is legal. So <laughs> they said, like, you already have your game. Why are you trying to ruin it for everyone else who doesn't have their game yet? Meanwhile, I get a shipping notification three weeks ago from them, and uh, the shipping label has still not been created. Oh. It's still sitting. So wait, the shipping label's been created, but it hasn't been shipped yet. So they printed shipping labels at their right. business with, um, um, what's the, Postmates.com? Yeah. Yep, Postmates or Stamps.com. Stamps.com. So they created the shipping labels just to say, to make people feel like it was shipped is what I'm assuming because they have not delivered those packages to the USPS yet. Some people have gotten it. Yeah, yeah. But for those people got their shipping notifications like a month before I got mine. Yeah, that's true. Because I just got my shipping notification on the 30th. Yeah. So you just got yours. I I just got mine for three weeks. (laughs) So, yeah, this is a really interesting story and it's one of those that is very difficult to dig in and know exactly what is truth and exactly what is dramatization of what actually happened right i think that it's it is very interesting seeing a company react and respond this way and it's not you know, it kind of goes against the typical customer service policies or yeah. practices that you'd see more places do. <laughs> and it's interesting because they explain if you go back, there's a really long board game geek thread, there's Reddit threads that are really long. They explain in those, the Golden Bell Studios explains why they respond the way that they do. And that this is going to be the wave of the future, if you would, about how customer service is going to be. And they basically said that they're acting like Wendy's on Twitter does. 
And most of us think Wendy's on Twitter is pretty funny. But typically, Wendy's on Twitter is cracking back at people who are making fun of Wendy's, not about people who are complaining about the quality of food that they got at Wendy's or that they ordered food and never got it at Wendy's or something like that, right? Yes. Or that they got a, went to Wendy's and got a bag of McDonald's food or something, you know? (laughs) So I, I get to a degree where they're coming from, right? That there is a strong sense of entitlement in consumers today. Some could say justified, some could say maybe a little overzealous. And for better or for worse, this is a Kickstarter. We're technically not guaranteed anything. We gave money in the hopes that we would get a game as a result or in the promise of a game as at the end. But technically, they could break that promise and there really wouldn't be all that much we could do about it. So part of me says, well, they're trying. They're trying to get the, the games out. And I do wonder where this $100,000 loss came from, it does seem that there there's trying to be some blame placed on the designer who didn't necessarily know enough about game publishing and game printing and all that stuff to be able to accurately represent the cost of the game. Could that be true? Sure, it, it certainly could be true. I have no idea. I do remember way long ago after backing this game that Golden Bell Studios was something that came in later. They were not initially part of it. From what I recall, they were somebody that once the Kickstarter got funded, Artem, the designer, said, I need help. I need someone to help me with get this game published. And and he is who, and the Golden Bells, who kind of was signed up with to make that happen. Now, what is interesting about this is that they have recently canceled, Golden Bell recently canceled another Kickstarter, saying that the tariff rates were just too high and that they weren't going to make any money. Uh, those tariffs have not actually gone into effect yet, nor, and they have now at this point been delayed. So yeah. we'll see if those actually happen. But they that was their reasoning for giving refunds. Um, there is a game that they took, they got the money for two years ago um, that has not been delivered yet. And they said that, you know, we would need another group or another publisher or something to step in to help get this game to to enough people um but they haven't refunded and they said so we're going to refund it but they haven't refunded anyone and their response was well we told the designers that's what we wanted to do and it just hasn't happened i don't know what that means (laughs) they've also recently been sued um in march of this year for you know how they worked with someone else who was trying to get a game completed and agreements they had signed and and all that good stuff so I'm not saying that Golden Bell is doing everything wrong. I think there definitely seem to be people who f- rightly or wrongly feel like Golden Bell has has done them a disservice. And as a result, they are <laughs> trying to make their lives very difficult. But Golden Bell is making it very challenging for anyone to feel sympathetic to them. And I think that's the hard thing is that I'm not saying they should roll over and take it if they feel they genuinely are being mistreated and they feel that folks are genuinely trying to besmirch them they should defend themselves but <laughs> they also used lynch mob in the uh, email they did they did use <laughs> the word lynch mob. any lynching <laughs> yeah they definitely they did use the word <clears throat> lynch mob which is uh or the words lynch mob which is disappointing to see because that yeah. i think is quite a bit more serious than my solo game i'm wait- waiting for to be delivered yes you know and it's just such a odd situation because it started with you know you and i had the conversation when we got the email the backer update being saying hey we 
really missed the boat as far as shipping goes. We're going to be requesting additional dollars if you can contribute. Great. If you can't, that's fine. You're still going to get your game. And at that point, I was in the the boat of, you know, this game still looks cool. If I, I will wait to get it. But when I get it, if I like it, I will gladly throw them a few extra dollars. I, it's very hard for me to commit to doing that at this point. <laughs> I And you and I even kind of had this conversation. I just genuinely <laughs> wish almost that I hadn't backed this game now. Yeah. And I it's will be. Yeah. And I don't know that I will ever back any project that Golden Bell is attached to in the future. So that was well, going to be my question to you. So <clears throat> I think that's a no brainer, right? So my question is, if we back like if we back Kickstarter tomorrow, mm-hmm. uh, let's say it's. I don't know, the next big game from whoever, but it's going to be huge. Big, this big game. Mm-hmm. And they don't have a um, distributor lined up in the Kickstarter. Or you just don't even think about that it might be a problem. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you back the game, a month goes by, they say, hey, we picked up Golden Bell Studios to distribute our game. Do you think Kickstarter should have an option where you can back out of a project when stuff like that happens? I know that feasibly you can't do that because... That's the contract you you sign up with when you do that. Like when you do a Kickstarter, you're like, you even said earlier, like you're not guaranteed anything. Right. But when you, should there be a a point where there can be a case or you can uh, make a case of something or enough people can where the, maybe the, the project person, like the guy who created the game can take extra time to find a new distributor or do you think that's just uh, the dice? Like you're just kind of stuck with Golden Bell again, even though neither of us ever want to do anything involving right. Golden Bell. I think that's the hard part of that. I think Kickstarter's role once the project is funded, and I think Kickstarter kind of pretty much does take a mostly hands-off role at that point, that if during the campaign something seems off or something seems disingenuous or it seems not feasible for the Kickstarter to do what it says it's going to. You obviously have seen Kickstarters canceled. Yeah. But once the Kickstarter funds, I don't know that Kickstarter is even in their best interest to have, I mean, I mean, cause they've already gotten their cut, right? Like they've taken right. their 10%. <laughs> They're happy probably, but I don't know that it's in their best interest or that they would even have any interest in helping facilitate that. Sure. They wouldn't. But like, okay, so what, like you email the the creators of the Kickstarter Mm -hmm. and you say, okay, I see that you guys just picked up Golden Bell to distribute your game. I would like a refund. Should you be entitled to get that? I, mm, I think it'd be hard for that particular case. I think it would be challenging for me to say, yes, I think you should get one. Now, there are situations where I do think that you should be able to get one. And I think most places do. And I think an excellent example of this, whether or not you think it's funny, is Shenmue 3, right? Yeah. Shenmue 3 now is going exclusive to the Epic Game Store. So anyone who got the game thinking they're getting it on Steam, they are now giving a refund to you. Yeah. That is completely legitimate to me, right? The platform of where you're going to play that game, well, I shouldn't say the platform, the store where you, where you yeah. need to get that game <laughs> has now changed. You know, so if I had backed a, a board game that was a, you know, uh it was going to be a board game. And now suddenly they say, Hey, we are making this into an, a mobile app only. Then I think I should be able to get a refund for sure. Because even though you are making me no guarantees you of what's that I'm going to get a product, 
I feel like in that situation, you have my good faith investment, if you want to look at it that way, has been you haven't held true to my good faith investment. You haven't done your best to to get the game to me. Now, maybe in six more weeks, we will both have Unbroken and we will love it. So at that point, did it matter that Golden Bell was the one who sent it to us the game? An immediate mailer six weeks. And games are late all the time, right? Games are late all the time. And I think all this, this, um, we'll call it press, um, is really what's, like I said to you when we were talking, I was like, I kind of don't even want, I don't want the game to be good because it's just going to have this history with it. And it, it shouldn't matter. I right. agree with you. It shouldn't matter. If I get the game and it's good, awesome. Good for me. Because I bought right. this game, <laughs> I should right. be happy. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that I think it is hard, and I will genuinely. I think I'll be very surprised if anyone chooses to pick up Golden Bell now. Yeah, I think Golden Bell will probably still do things. I'm not certain people will be too enthusiastic in backing anything their name is tied to. Excuse me. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if they create some subsidiary that their next game is name. yeah that has a, it has a different name but yeah. it's still them but just a name you know a different name just to, to kind of get rid of that taste in people's mouths so yeah yeah it's well, it's just it's the most bizarre kickstarter i've ever been a part of that's for sure it's it certainly is interesting um but for the people who are listening that maybe haven't backed a kickstarter this doesn't or this doesn't apply to you just keep in mind that while this is kind of an extreme example this is kind of something that you just sign up for when you do a Kickstarter. You don't know what's going to happen. Uh, I would say it's it happens less um, odds-wise. Like you're probably looking at less than 5% of Kickstarters, but it still happens. Well, and I think the big thing too is there are some companies now that you can just rely on. That you know when they're going to do a Kickstarter, more than likely it is going to go just fine. Uh, I have... Um, Oh, what the heck is the game from AEG that's supposed to be coming this month or next month? Edge of Darkness, right? Yeah. That game, I was supposed to have that game in June. They told me, man, January, February, they said, hey, they sent an update and they said, hey, we're probably going to miss shipping by about six to eight weeks, just so you know. Everything else has been great. They've had regular updates. They've had regular everything else. My price hasn't changed. Like, everything else has been great. But they did say, you know, four or five months ago, hey, we are we are going to miss ship date. Here's the reason why. Um, we are now, you know, anticipating instead of a, a June release, probably end of July, early August. Great. I understand that things happen sometimes that especially when you are making a game that has a lot of complex things or has a huge volume that sometimes printing takes longer than you expect. Like those things happen. I get it. But some, you know, and I think that's the other part, too, is that there are so many people or so many organizations out there that are really, really good at processing Kickstarters and getting them out to you. Quartermaster Logistics, my goodness. When I get stuff from them from a Kickstarter, it is packaged pristinely. The game box is phenomenal. The, the box the game comes in is great. Everything is packaged great. It it feels like it was worth the... Because sometimes shipping is really expensive, but it, it makes it feel like it was worth it. That I got the game and there was no chance there was going to be any damage or issue with this game. Yeah. You know, so I don't necessarily care that I paid 15 bucks for shipping or $20 sometimes for shipping because the game comes in and it's amazing. Now, I understand for this project, they say they've already lost $100,000. You probably can't afford to hire Quartermaster Logistics to do this, but it seems like it could have been 
there are people who do these things, <laughs> you know, like know, there, there are professional number, companies who this is their job. So that number people already disproved their math on that too. That number is insane. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, the good news is while you were talking about that, my firework finale happened. So, nice. Uh, we're done with fireworks that at least are done legally. <laughs> Shall we move on? Let's move on. We've beaten that dead bell. Oh, wow. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. We have a new game by the OP. Uh, if you're familiar with the Rising series, we have one game out, Thanos Rising. <clears throat> we have another game coming out, Darth Vader Rising. And now we have Harry Potter Death Eaters Rising announced by the OP in the Wizarding World Universe uh, per uh, via DicetowerNews.com. You're playing, uh, well, each player assembles a team of allies from the Order of the Phoenix, Dumbledore's Army, and Hogwarts to face off against the growing power of the Dark Lord. Uh, you start off with the uh, the familiar heroes such as Harry, Hermione, Sirius, and Dumbledore, and you can recruit others uh, such as and therefore to other characters in Harry Potter. <laughs> That's interesting when I look at what you were just about to read. Yeah, I don't want to spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, players I then battled the Death Eaters, uh, such as other spoilers. <laughs> For control of key locations like the Ministry of Magic, Diagon Alley, Hogsmeade Village, before facing off against you know who himself. Uh, it's two to four players. It comes with a cool Voldemort statue in the middle of the board. I wish I could give you my thoughts. I I, I have a set of Thanos Rising promos. I just haven't bought the game yet. Um, but I've heard good things, at least from Thanos Rising. Um, what I do, I do like that the, the OP does this. They have this formula that works for them, and they're kind of giving everyone their own game in that formula, uh, which is kind of what's happening with the Talisman games that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's cool. I know people think it's a little overkill, and they're afraid of the Monopoly effect, like all those themed Monopoly games, but... Um, I like that it has, the, like, you know how to play this game. Well, you can play all these other ones. You just get all the lore from these projects that you might be passionate about. You might not be. Right. Uh, what about you? Is this a instant buy for you, a maybe buy for you, a pass for you? It's a probably buy. Uh, the partner is super into Harry Potter, really enjoys those games in that world. And obviously, this is different than uh, Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle. But I think she would definitely be in for playing another game in the Harry Potter world. And with the Toy Story game coming out this fall, I think we'll kind of get that Hogwarts battle itch scratched. So I think maybe having another Harry Potter type game since Harry Potter Wizards Unite, I don't think is quite doing it for her. Uh, maybe this will be the the way we get a Harry Potter game played this year. So, yeah, I think that this will probably be on the short list of games for the fall. Definitely. Cool. The OP is also putting out Harry Potter Hogwarts Battle Defense Against the Dark Arts, and that is coming out <clears throat> shortly. Yes, it is. Okay, our next news story is the announcement of the winner of the 2019 Kinderspiel der Jahres, and that is Valley of the Vikings by Haba. 
Um, it was designed by Marie Fort and Wilfried Fort. Uh, the artwork was by Maximilian Meinzold. Uh, it's aimed at kids ages six and up. There's two to four players and t- takes about 20 minutes to play. The game is being billed as a tactical game of skill. Uh, as the players uh, have to use balls to knock down barrels in the annual bowling barrel contest. I've seen the board. It looks pretty cool. Definitely mm-hmm. has a dexterity feel. Um, I believe it's at Dice Tower Con um, and definitely a Gen Con. So we'll be seeing more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but Hoppa's great for kids and family games. So I have no doubt that it will be good. Likely true. You have room for any of these Hobbit games in your collection? Or you? you know, I've never really played many Hobbit games just because I don't have younger folks that I game with. And, you know, dear listener, just a reminder, obviously, the Kinderspiel is the Spiel des Jahres award aimed at kids' games. There's still the Spiel itself and the Kinderspiel, mm-hmm. you know, which are, are geared more towards adults. But, yeah, I mean, it's not surprising to see a Hobbit game win because they definitely seem to design a whole lot of quality games. Um, but yeah, nothing of theirs usually gets to my shelf, though. I just don't play with a lot of kids. I hear you. Cool. Okay. We spent a bunch of time on Unbroken, so we'll we'll hit this one quick. <clears throat> good news for me, and double good news for me, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so the seventh con- the seventh continent, arguably one of the greatest games available now, mm-hmm. according to Board Game Geek, at least, um, is announced. Next, uh, a future Kickstarter project, which is the Seventh Citadel, uh, which is, I would say, more maybe like a spiritual sequel or successor to the Seventh Continent. Mm-hmm. Um, they haven't really revealed too much information um, about it, but it takes place in a dark fantasy universe um, where the gameplay will be significantly enhanced uh, compared to um, Seventh Continent. So, like the rumor is. They're taking the things they learned from Seventh Continent and really just um, updating this to a new, I, I, I don't want to call it a universe, but a new setting because uh, it could be in the same universe. Um, and the art, they have a cool art thing out already. Uh, it's hard to describe what it is. Maybe uh, it looks like a it looks vegetable. like a head of garlic is yeah. what it looks like to me. With a city inside of it, which yep. looks pretty cool. Um, so yeah, the, all they did was announce that this will be coming to Kickstarter in 2020. So there's not really a lot to know about it. Uh, they said there'll be more information in the fall. Uh, as well as another announcement we have from them, they are releasing, um, seventh continent classic edition, uh, quarter four this year. We don't know the price. It is a remarkably smaller box. Um, and what I read is, it comes with, in the game, um, you have other scenarios that you run into, and there's a bunch in the base game. They'll just be less scenarios in this game, which means less cards or tiles, if you will, for this one. Um, so for me, Kyle, I am excited for both of these things, because I will be picking up Seventh Continent if I don't somehow buy a Kickstarter version at back some point, which is still possible. <laughs> um, but if I don't do that, um, I would I would jump at the opportunity to buy the Classic Edition. I guess it really just depends on the price difference between buying one from someone who has extra Kickstarter one or buying the Classic Edition. 
Right. Well, and uh, something that I think is interesting that I haven't explored yet that I probably should explore. Well, I don't guess it won't work. because There's a lot of other pieces, but I not too long ago got my Kickstarter uh, expansion for Seventh Continent. Yeah. And you have to replace almost maybe all of I don't know. I haven't double checked yet. All of the cards in the base game, basically. Oh <laughs> so when you get the kicks that when you get the expansion, there was a whole box that came with it of cards you need to replace in the base game to work with the expansion. But I haven't like finished the base game yet. So I don't really want to <laughs> unsleep and resleeve all these cards right. because it's a lot of cards. It's like a thousand cards. So yeah, I think I'm just going to make it a priority to finish the base game, at least get to most of it. And then I can add swap things out. But what I was thinking was, I don't know if it's, literally every card because if it was then i'll have a whole lot of cards that will won't have a home soon ish <laughs> but i guess theoretically i think the curses and the player aids and the character sheets and all that would not you know would stay the same so more than likely i wouldn't just be able to give those to you so yeah i hear you but yeah but no seventh continent i mean it's from what i like i said i haven't played enough of it yet to give it a full review it's a game that I always keep meaning to get back to and play more and keep meaning to get back to and play more. Um, but it, it's pretty great for what I've played of it. So I, I'm looking forward to digging in more. And I'm really glad they're finding a way to make it more accessible to more people. Cool. And 7th, uh, Citadel, you're interested? Is this something you're probably yes. just going to back day one? I will probably back. Yeah, especially since I'm glad they told us it was coming 2020 because... Seventh Continent wasn't cheap. I assume Seventh Citadel won't be either. Uh, and it gives me a little time to put away a little bit of money before that game comes while I also try to save for, you know, next generation consoles and things like that. So, yeah. yeah that's going to be fun. I know. It's going to be an expensive year. It's going to be a very expensive year. Good thing. I'm just going to take all my tax return money. Tell yep. my wife we had about $2,000 less in returns and <laughs> just keep it all. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, okay. Last, but certainly not least. I'm going to say good friend of the show, William Herkowitz, <laughs> put out his updated 50 best new board games. Uh, Kyle tweeted about it today on the Twitter. Um, we get some love from a few people, Dice Tower mm -hmm. News included, uh, William himself. Uh, and yeah, this is our go-to, as Kyle said, our go-to list of games that we want to either try or recommend uh, because it's a pretty solid list. Yeah. Did you? Uh, I'll be honest with you. Uh, I know I didn't really um, inspect the list too much. I really scanned for human punishment to see if it was in there. Still there. It was. <laughs> I thought it'd be funny if it wasn't. Um, I couldn't remember if Nemesis was in it last time, but I believe it was. Well, so and I, I remember him talking about it. Right. And I know we've talked about it. Probably it would be time for us to reach out and see if we can get him back on the show to talk about specifically what the changes are. Because I think that's the problem that he is he is maintaining a list of such good games that it's very hard to notice when a good game is replaced by a good game. Yeah, like I see Claustrophobia 1643 is on here. I don't remember if that was on there. And Planet is on here. And I, I remember talking about this, but I talk to you about this all the time. Right. I don't know if it was on the list last time uh, or not. So it's interesting, like Monolith Arena. I'm like, you know, if I was like a good podcast journalist, I probably would have just pulled up the older list and compared the two. <laughs> I did try to quickly find it and I was not able to, but it was also a very busy day at work. So 
Gotcha. So, I mean, uh, yeah, we'll have, we'll have William back on uh, for another hangout session, uh, and we'll talk about his list and what he's been playing and and what we've been playing and fun stuff like that. And maybe something about Human Punishment 2.0. Maybe. And maybe, I don't mean to steal William's thunder, but maybe by the time you're listening to this episode, you're going to know who our next guest is. Maybe. And that's going to be exciting. It is. <laughs> Next week's show should hopefully be a great one. So, well, we, I don't want to promise miracles. You know, I said hopefully. <laughs> uh, yeah, so there's still a bunch of games on here that I would love to talk about and ask him if they were on the last list. <laughs> <laughs> and so I see too many bones is on here, and I, it's still at my um, for 130 bucks, and it's at my um, uh, local game store for $40 pre owned oh, So I keep looking go. at it wondering if I should buy it. Right. <laughs> Maybe I should just buy it. I'll sell it on eBay. <laughs> okay, Kyle, that is all the board game news. That's not true. Oh, no. Did I miss one? I added one because, Where darn it, I am taking credit for this. Oh, today's news. <laughs> yes. Because, dear listener, you may remember not all that long ago, we had Emerson Matsuchi on the show. And I told Emerson how sad I was that the Gollum edition of Century did not have the expansion. And I said, hey, add me to the list of people who want it. I'm sure I'm enough to kind of put that list over the top. And Josh, what got announced today? Nothing. You are the worst. (laughs) Uh, So today, uh, very excitedly, I scrolled scrolled through my Facebook and saw Plan B Games had this announcement. Not only did they announce Century Century Gollum Edition Eastern Mountains, uh, but they also announced a playmat that you could pre-order with it, and it can be combined with Gollum Edition for a third version of Gollum Edition, essentially. And boy, is it also another pretty-looking game. It is. It looks absolutely stunning. I pre-ordered the whole shoot match with the mat and all. Yep. And I am really excited about this. Supposed to come sometime at the end of August, it's sounding like. Shipping yeah. late August 2019. So, dear listener, you are welcome. I am 100% taking ownership for this happening. I am saying it is because of me and my powers that this game came to fruition. So, you're, everyone's welcome. You're, you you're very, very welcome. That Nazca retweeted your tweet, <laughs> only further proving that you're correct. Right, that I am the reason that this game happened. So, you're all welcome. Better not I fail. I know, right? Business. <laughs> please, everyone, buy this game. Please. 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 <laughs> but no, I'm very excited about that. So that is definitely pre-ordered, and that will be a game jumping to the top of my playlist as soon as it arrives. Speaking of, uh, uh, New World has been getting insane reviews. It has. It really it's has. The best of all three games. I know, which is ridiculous considering how much just the the base, and that was kind of weird. It's like, oh, the base game, yeah. you know. But it, it is a really cool concept of how that was all put together and the different variations of playing it and how you can play it in so many different ways. So that's yeah. that's awesome. Four different ways for one game. Yep, very very cool. All right, so that's all of the stuff in the board game world. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about some news in the video game world. Mm-hmm. Josh, are you a fan of Alan Wake? Of course. Who if if you had an Xbox 360 and you were any kind of 
horror fan, survival horror game fan, you if you didn't play Alan Wake, you missed out. So, do you want to play Alan Wake on platforms other than Xbox? No, I already played it. Oh, well, <laughs> I want trophies, darn it. And now maybe my dreams will come true because Remedy announced that they have purchased back, I guess would be the best way of looking at it, the publishing rights for Alan Wake from Microsoft and that they now will be able to pr- to publish the game on other platforms. This I loved Alan Wake and American Nightmare. Was that the yeah, kind the of was American the, Nightmare? Yeah, the small kind of spin-off one. Yep. Uh, I enjoyed both those games and I was really always hoping that we would get another Alan Wake game. So, I'm really excited about this. I'm really excited the fact that Remedy can now, you know, <laughs> bring this game to Switch, I guess. Great. More ports. <laughs> but really, I think it's, I would imagine that maybe it's going to get a little TLC, some uprising, some, hopefully some, uh, some spit and polish, if you would, because whatever you think about Remedy's games, they usually look pretty darn good. Yes. So giving this a nice little polish and bringing it to the current generation of consoles, or maybe early next generation of consoles, if you would, to give it a little bit of an uprise, I think would be pretty cool. So I was a big fan of the original Alan Wake. I would definitely play it again. Um, and I thought it was a little interesting that Microsoft was just saying, hey, here, you can have it back. Obviously, they didn't do it for nothing, but they're going to buy a remedy tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 it's possible, uh-huh, I guess. We got it back. <laughs> wouldn't that be interesting so yeah but anyway i think that's kind of cool uh remedy now taking control back of alan wake so we'll see what they have to do with that but they did say that obviously they have control coming out in august and that is their big focus right now is just getting control out so awesome anything else to say about that good sir no i want a new alan wake i Um, do want a new alan wake as well i don't want it ported i know you want your trophies but I, I do want my trophies, and obviously I, I would take a new one. Of watching people on Kotaku play Devil May Cry on the Switch, and I was like, this is why we should not be putting old games on the Switch. It looks terrible. <laughs> so I don't want you to be playing Alan Wake on the Switch. You don't, like The best experience to play Alan Wake was when it was out. I, I don't know what you're talking about, because Bloodstain and Crash Team Racing clearly run amazingly on the Switch. Well... I mean, I did enter a giveaway to win Crash Team Racing on the Switch, so let's, so. let's hope I don't win. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I think it. I think it. Uh, it. It runs at a really low resolution handheld, but the screen's so small it doesn't matter. It's like playing games on Vita or the PSP or the PSP, exactly. <laughs> so, all right, next news story and a feel-good news story. Josh, are you a fan of speedrunning games? Yeah, but you know, I didn't know this thing existed. What you're going to talk about? So uh, at all. No, now I know. So I think it's pretty cool. Wow. Okay. So Summer Games Done Quick, the annual speed running marathon, which happened kind of in my backyard. It was up in the Twin Cities this year. Uh, did their annual summer fundraiser for Doctors Without Borders. This year, they raised a total of $3,006,188.87, which is really mind-boggling considering last year... They raised a little over $2.1 million. So that is a huge oh. increase uh, and really something that's pretty awesome to see them do. And you, so you weren't aware of this at all? I'm aware of speedrunning, but I was not aware of games done quick 
summer mm. games, winter games done quick. Yeah, they do. They do a number of things. So, uh, it, you know, would you ever want to speed run a game? Would you want to get so play one game so much that you could do something like that? No, and I don't envy the people that do it. I watch one of the YouTube channels I watch. They had a speedrunner come on and play people seemingly unaware of people in a race in like Mario 3. And the guy's like, I do this for a living. And I'm like, that's great. That's you making money playing video games. That's super cool. But, right. but I don't know. He doesn't, he practices all the time. He doesn't play other games. Right. Like, I'm in this for the joy of learning new experiences, not playing. Not perfecting one. <laughs> yeah, World 4 won 100,000 times in my life. <laughs> yeah, I I do think that there is something very special about what speedrunners are able to do. I don't have the wear and thaw or the attention span or in a lot of the ways the commitment to do something like that. Yeah, I can play hundreds of hours of Overwatch because every game is somewhat different. But if it was yeah. always exactly the same, I don't know that I would play hundreds of hours of Overwatch. So... I, I enjoy watching speedrunning. I think it was, was it this year or last year? I don't even remember when they were doing Borderlands 2. I don't even know about that. Yeah, I can't remember, but it was very interesting. There was, there, there was one year, and I don't remember if even if it was Summer Games on Quick, this, I don't re- remember exactly, but basically folks from the studio were watching and they asked, you know, hey, how long do you think until we can break your game? And they said, oh, 20 minutes or whatever. And then the game started and they went over to this one room and opened a door and it was just loaded with guns. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. So it took a minute or two and they were like, oh, 20 minutes or something. So, yeah, they just went and, and broke it right away. So that has to be a little demoralizing if you're making games yeah. just to see this person. To, you know, you put hundreds of thousands of hours in to make this thing. And you have this idea of how this game is supposed to be played. And then someone's like, ah, I'm just going to play it this way. <laughs> <laughs> it's got to be a little demoralizing. I, I have to imagine. But they yeah. do it for a good cause. So that's very cool. So big props to Summer Games Done Quick, raising over $3 million. See, games can be a force of good. So nice yeah. job to them. Uh, so E3 ended a bit ago. Do you remember that thing? Yes, it's like a distant memory at this point, though. It is. It does seem like it was a really long time ago, doesn't it? It's well. I mean, arguably, we we weren't wowed or blown away by anything, so it didn't really have that lasting conversation piece. That is very true. So, after E three is over, there is a Game Critics Awards that are done. Uh, I think Jeff, this is a Jeff Keeley thing, if I recall correctly, that he brings people together has you know folks from a whole bunch of outlets vote on what they think the the winners of e3 are so this year uh the winners were for best of show was final fantasy 7 remake mm-hmm. uh, best original game was the outer worlds so big props to those folks over at obsidian i know that game's coming out in october and people are pretty excited about it uh best console i think it's supposed to be console game uh was final fantasy 7 remake the best VR AR game was Phantom Covert Ops. Best PC game, Doom Eternal. And I know I'm excited about Doom Eternal. I think you're excited about Doom Eternal, correct? Mm-hmm. Awesome. Uh, the best, uh, where were we? Best hardware peripheral is the Xbox Elite Wireless Controller Series 2, which makes sense. The first one was amazing, and the second one looked amazing, even though I didn't get to hold it. But apparently, from all hands-on, it sounds like it's great. Uh, best action game, Doom Eternal again best action adventure game this is always such a weird action versus action adventure 
Uh, but best action adventure was Watch Dogs Legion, which definitely looks interesting. Best RPG, back to Final Fantasy VII Remake. Best racing game was Crash Team Racing, which is now out. Best sports game was Pro Evolution Soccer 2020, because keep in mind, EA is technically not at E3. Mm-hmm. Uh, best strategy game was John Wick Hex. Just, man, Keanu Reeves winning that. everything. <laughs> Uh, best family social game was Luigi's Mansion 3. Best online multiplayer, multiplayer was Call of Duty Modern Warfare. Best independent game was 12 Minutes, which does look very, very awesome. Best ongoing game was Destiny 2. And special commendations for graphics went to Cyberpunk 2077. So with that rundown, any surprises to you there, sir? Yeah, Gooigi. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, not a fan of Gooigi, eh? Uh, John Wick Hex. Uh, I, it popped up on like I want to say Epic Game Store a couple times, and I when I opened it, I I was curious what the heck it was. I mm-hmm. just never clicked on it to see. So I mean, this will make me go and check out what the game is. I don't even know like what the gameplay is. Oh, uh, yeah. I just assume since I never heard of it, it was probably nothing mind blowing. But I'll check it out now since it won an award from developers. Or a community award, or whatever you want to consider it. Uh, surprising, surprising. Not really. I mean, Crash Team Racing, did it technically beat out the LEGO expansion for Forza? Because that's a bummer if it did. <laughs> I, that I don't know. I, I don't know if there has to be a full game or what exactly it has to yeah. be to qualify. But no, everything else seems, I think, pretty much lines up with what we talked about from... E3. Uh, I already have the Outer Worlds installed on my PC, so I'm just ready to play it when it comes out. Oh, jeez. Since it's part of Game Pass. So, I get it for free, baby. Well, not free. You do pay for it. You're right. I got. I paid a dollar for you it. You paid a dollar for it. Uh, Those four quarters, that matters. Hey, you're, you're not wrong. Uh, uh, yeah. What about you? I mean, everything else seems... Yeah, I, I think pretty... I don't want to say run in the mill, but pretty much what I expected. I thought maybe Cyberpunk would win Best of Show. Um, yeah, they still didn't really show anything. I mean, what they showed was cool, but they didn't show us the coveted gameplay. Well, behind closed doors, they did. Yes, they did. That's true. So, but yeah, we did not see a ton of it. So, but yeah, so uh, there we go. I think that kind of probably pretty much puts a cap on E3 of this year. So now we can start the countdown to E3 of next year. Great. <laughs> you sound so excited. Uh, all right. Gamescom and all these other things in between. It's very true. Very, very true. So as we start to kind of wrap up this video game news, two more quick items. Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo seem that they actually agree on something. That is right. They have written a open letter, if you would, to, I guess, technically kind of the Donald Trump slash his administration. Um, It was a seven-page letter that is giving some concerns they have about the proposed tariffs that were supposed to take effect. Now, from what I understand of the news, these did get delayed, it sounds like. They're they're not taking effect immediately. But um, there was going to be a 25% import tariff on video game consoles and other video game goods coming from China. And if you figure that... I. think it's somewhere in the 96% range of items that are sold in the video game sphere <laughs> come from China. Yeah. Uh, that was going to be a huge hit. And if you think of, you know, specifically Microsoft and PlayStation 
releasing new consoles next year, that would be a huge markup if there was suddenly a 25% tariff on top of a $400 console. I'll keep my Stadia and I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> so this was basically the three companies coming together saying, hey, this would be very damaging not only to U.S. consumers, but to U.S. jobs. And here are all the reasons why. So, yeah, it, it was kind of interesting that you know that if the three of them are going to agree on something, it probably was something that was not going to be great for the video game industry. Yeah. So we'll obviously see how this plays out and what the long term uh, impacts are, whether these tariffs actually ever do come into fruition. Like I said, you know, we were running into Kickstarters now that had tariff protections and other Kickstarters saying they were canceled because of tariff prices. Uh, so we'll have to wait and see. Uh, I know as someone who has talked a lot about the price of video games maybe needing to be higher because of the cost of development, this isn't exactly what I meant. <laughs> so right. this is not the way that was supposed to happen. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. Any thoughts on the big three coming together to say, hey, we really don't aren't big on having tariffs? They had to do it. You know, that's a big number. Yeah, 25%. 25% sales tax on food if you went to the grocery store and buy milk. <laughs> I know, obviously, we don't need video games to live, but you don't need milk to live either. <laughs> uh, I counter counterpointed my counterpoint. You did. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's just a big number. And, and people need to look at it more than just a video game problem because if you can put a 25% tariff on something, you can put it on anything. Yeah. So it could lead to much bigger problems. Right. So hopefully that all gets resolved and we're not all paying, you know, 25% more for goods. I won't be. Okay. You Sorry. won't be. Sorry, U.S. government. I will be stuck playing my old consoles. <laughs> <laughs> Which realistically could, you know, very much be what would happen. That okay. the transition would be much, much slower. So, all right. And the final news story, uh, Sony. It's looking to acquire some new studios. In an interview with Japanese newspaper Nihon Kaiza Shimbun, I have no idea if that's right, but I'll go for it. Jim Ryan told the outlet that, quote, they're looking into developer acquisitions in the future. Uh, this is coming from Game Informer, who talked about who kind of translated and helped give me some information about this because I definitely couldn't read it. Uh, specifically, Ryan said that PlayStation is looking at developers fairly new to the industry to join them as PlayStation already has a lot of money and lots of experience under their belt. They get a lot of money. <laughs> they, well, they do have a lot of money. Not as much as Microsoft, but they have a lot of money. So, Josh, Sony says yeah. that they're they're in the business of, of looking to buy some more developers. Probably they said smaller developers. Sure. Who do you think Sony has their eyes on? Gosh. Or if you were Sony, who would you want to buy? I mean, Sony might as well own Square Enix at this point. Yeah, Square Enix is pretty big. <laughs> they got a pretty big market share of... And uh, Western Square Enix has a really good relationship with Microsoft. Yeah. So um, who who publishes um, Dragon Quest? Square Enix. That's, that's Square Enix. Okay. Um, or like um, Co... Koi, 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 Tecmo. Oh, Koi Tecmo? Koi Tecmo. That would be someone. I'm thinking of companies that make sense for Sony to acquire because they do have the Western audience. Mm -hmm. um, and those like those studios make sense. Bandai Namco, Koi, 
um, Atlas company, studios like that. Atlas is owned by Sega. So Sega. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's obviously not a small studio. I don't. I can't. I, I don't know that I can put my finger on small studios like, without looking up like who's around for Sony. But I right. think anything that JRPG like landscape would be perfect for them to just get or like if they got that Kingdom Hearts exclusivity, um, mm-hmm. um, that would be big because obviously they're going to milk as many Kingdom Hearts games as they can uh, right. with their license. It makes sense. Um, and we still haven't seen like those remasters come to Xbox. Like they're not rushing out Kingdom Hearts one and two for Xbox players to play. Right. But maybe maybe there's something going on. But if they got Square Enix, they get Tomb Raider. They'd get a bunch of stuff. Yeah, they would get a bunch of stuff. They need it, like they said, right? They got great first party games. They got mm-hmm. lots of money. This is a weird flex. Maybe they are going to spend some of their lots of money on a bigger studio. Maybe. Um. But I, I would, I guess, Atlas isn't a small studio. They, I right. would, say they're small for me, like as far as my involvement with their games. Right. But that's like Persona and all those other games, right? Yep. So, um, I don't know. What do you think? You're more in the Sony mindset. Yeah. So it's interesting because when I was thinking of potentially developers or studios in Japan or that area, they. PlayStation actually has a pretty large presence in China right now. They have a number of studios that they're working with there um, because of their China Hero project. So I do wonder if maybe they'll formalize some of those relationships a little bit more and bring them in-house, if you would. I can't tell you the names of any of those studios off the top of my head, uh, but they have, I think, geez, probably close to a dozen games almost from Chinese studios or smaller Japanese and South Korean studios that they're working with that are, as far as I know, coming exclusively to PlayStation in those areas. Um, So I could see them potentially bringing a couple of those under their wing. I could also see them, you know, going, if you look European, because they are big over there too, maybe someone like Arrowhead, who is the um, studio that made Helldivers for them. Um, And they also, I think, made Magicka, if I recall. So I think that might be some, a place that they go. I think Housemark is, you know, someone who obviously was very connected to Sony for a long time. And now they're trying to do their own thing on PC and it doesn't seem like it's going that well. I could be wrong, yeah. but, you know, everything is kind of pointing to that not going great for them. Hopefully it does. I mean, I love Housemark. I, I love the games that they make. So I'm hoping things are going well with that development. Um, you know, and I think after... Until Don released, I think, and then the relationship they had with Supermassive for all those VR games, it seemed like maybe, maybe that could have been the thing, but it doesn't seem like now with the Man of Mandan and all of that that they're doing that I, I don't know that it's time that that ship may have sailed depending on the price. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, off the top of my head, you know, from European and, and Japanese studios or, or Asian studios, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, the only U.S. studio that I could potentially possibly maybe see an argument for, obviously, a lot of folks jump on, oh, they should buy Insomniac. I don't think they have the money to buy Insomniac. Right. It'd be cool. I don't think they have the money for it. I, I, Spider-Man, yes, not after Spider-Man. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> they, they should have bought before Spider-Man. Um, but I think the other two that might be a possibility would potentially be Blue Point. Who has done a lot of their remasters? They did Shadow of the Colossus and the Nathan Drake collect, the Uncharted collection, and all of those things. 
Uh, so I think that would be a possibility. Uh, and potentially the rumors are that their next project is another PlayStation um, remake of some sort. But who knows? There's there are third party there are third party studio. So who knows what it is? Uh, the other one might be, and I think this would be a stretch and hard, would be Ready at Dawn, who made the Order 1886. And the reason I think that they might want a studio like that is they are doing a ton in the VR space as well. And they have released some of the best, very best VR games that exist. So getting a studio that could create a really, really pretty PS4 game, it might have some issues, but from a tech perspective, it was a tech powerhouse. um, And it has proven their chops in the VR space, I think would probably be a good pickup for them. But Ready at Dawn is a really big studio as well. It has, I think... A couple hundred employees so it's not small by any means so yeah i don't know i'll be very interested to see what they do off the top of my head those are kind of what i can think of or potentially see them doing so nice yeah all right so we're going to move on to our topic of the show and this episode will be releasing on the 4th of july in the united states also known as independence day and while i would love to just do a review of the 90s movie independence day but not that sequel not that mm, one resurgence <laughs> we are a gaming podcast so instead we're going to be running down some of our favorite games from independent developers uh this is going to be really hard in board games because most developers or publishers are independent but basically i'm just saying anything that isn't from asmoday or an asmoday owned studio i didn't know how else to break it down so i don't know if you had any thoughts I did go and look at the Dice Tower Awards because they do a um, best game from a small publisher. So I actually looked at that and then realized there's a lot of really good games from small publishers. So I kind of also used that as my guide. But did you have any issues coming up with lists in board games or video games for independent games you enjoy, sir? I did not have any issues. We also got two tweets 21 minutes ago. To reply from our questions, so we'll have some, we'll have at least one listener uh, response as well. <laughs> Excellent. Well, I will rely on you to fill us in on that one. But to start with, Josh, what is? Let's start with. Do you want to start board games or video games? Well, I didn't do too many board games. Okay, I kind of did them as a generality. Well, let's start board games then, and then we'll finish up with some more specific video games. Cool. All right. So the first thing I would just kind of. Thing, what I was thinking of was pretty much any game by Dr. Finn's games, I would okay. include. Um, they definitely, it's funny because the quality of the games don't have that indie feel, but mm-hmm. um, the the play feels, I don't know why I, I say that it feels indie, but for some reason the play styles of his games do feel that way to me. Mm-hmm. It, it also could very well have to do with the fact that we were very fortunate enough to play some prototypes with them at PAX Unplugged before right. PAX started. And my wife just showed me yesterday, they announced um, the game that we played that didn't have a name yet with art from Beth Sobel yesterday. Mm-hmm. So she's like, look, that's the game we played. And that really gives me that feeling like of the independent thing. And that's probably just a more of a me experience. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why I associate it that way. But I feel like his games, you could, if you didn't know about board games, you could be convinced it's by a big publisher. But okay. because I know uh, the process and the game style, I, I, I know that I would consider it like indie game studio kind of thing. So I would say Dr. Finn's games, games. 
Cosmic so, Mountain specifically. Cosmic said you have a specific one? Okay. Yeah. So there is, like I said, a award for best game from a small publisher that the Dice Tower does. And we should be getting the, the 2018 awards here very soon because I think mm. those will be announced the day this comes out, maybe even. But if you look at the 2017 winners or nominees for best game from a small publisher, the games are Century Spice Road, Sagrada, The Seventh Continent, Gloomhaven, Wow. And his duel. <laughs> so when I looked at that, because I was trying to figure out how am I going to best kind of categorize what's a independent game, and then I said, "Small publisher, that makes sense. That's that's five really good games just right there. Maybe I just yeah. count that as my list." <laughs> <laughs> so I think what we've happened, what has happened, is especially with the advent of Kickstarter, good games are coming from all over the place, and obviously that happens in the video game world too, but. There's just a lot of really, really good um, games that are coming out right now from really small publishers. One publisher that I want to talk a little bit more about or kind of highlight a bit more is actually going to be uh, the good folks at Why Am I Blanking Right Now? Just one sec. Bum, bum, bum. Um, is the folks from Leader Games who have mm. done Root and Vasta Crystal Caverns, right? They're a super small team. There's only a few people who work there. They've released two games, you know, Vast and Root. And both their games are amazing. They have really awesome, unique art styles. They have unique mechanics and mechanisms that are in them. And they are far and away just excellent, excellent games. Everyone or most people who play Vast or Root speak very highly of them. They're very highly rated on Board Game Geek. And I'm just really excited to see what they do next. Obviously, Root is a game that I have ordered, I'm waiting to get, and I'm really excited to play. But just the asymmetrical nature of their games, the way that they are able to balance that so well, I just think that they right now are kind of one of the quote unquote better small publishers out there or indie publishers out there as a leader is just doing a lot of really cool stuff. Yeah, for sure. I agree with that. Do you have other board game publishers or games you want to talk about at all? Well, I mean, since you brought it up, I didn't even think of it, but I mean, Staff of Affair Games... Gloomhaven has to make that list. Right. Um, you know, I, I, I hadn't considered it, um, but I mean, yeah, it, it's funny because you wouldn't consider it necessarily indie based on our thought of what an indie game is in the video game world. Right. It would be a triple A game. Yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy that it is thought of in that context but i'm all i'm all for it like that's great uh so yeah gloomhaven (laughs) how weird is that (laughs) yeah it's 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 definitely it's definitely interesting and i think you know as times change and things go i shouldn't say as things go by but as times change and and you know board game the board game realm is so different than the video game realm that you can have games from really big name designers that are, you know, from quote unquote small publishers. And I think that's one of the things that is so interesting about the board game world is you can have a game like, you know, Cottage Garden by Uwe Rosenberg being published by a really small company. Yeah. But that's and that's just something that you don't really see happen very often in the video game world. You might see people leave AAA studios and go create their own studios and make a new game, but that takes years and years and years. 
Whereas Uve can, you know, publish a game with a small company one year, the next year with a big company. So I think, you know, that whole Cottage Garden series of games that he he worked on, I think is another really cool example of, of small publishers who are able to put out really cool games and really unique games for sure. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So with that, all with the board games being covered, sir, what are some of your favorite independent video games? All right. So I don't want to be, well, there's a lot of games that a lot of people have played, right? There's a lot of the popular ones out there. Mm -hmm. um, and some of them are on my list, but the first game that I would want, want to focus on is um uh boy perception oh. which is a game that i played on the xbox one i reviewed it for psvg way back when it's still a game that i find to be incredibly unique um i get why some people don't like it it definitely mm -hmm. has it's a specific style of gameplay mm -hmm. um, but for people who don't know or don't remember um, also, it's local, like it's in Massachusetts, so it has that little local like feel to <laughs> right. it for me. Like, um, you play a blind girl who navigates through the game using echolocation with her walking stick. Mm -hmm. um, she arrives back to her childhood house, we'll say, and um, things are going on in the house. There's paranormal, paranormal activity. There's spookiness. There's story um there's a lot more to the game than you would think because and this could just be my mindset but thinking of playing as a blind character i could just kept thinking of how frustrating that would be and it is frustrating at certain points to make sure you understand that this is maybe more than a video game this is maybe to enlighten you a little bit but they also use your phone so it it uh reads um things you hold up to it. So you're also um, having like a transcribing phone so you can read notes that might be around the house or identify objects you pick up. Um, it's very, very good the way they, like I really enjoyed how they told the story. There are things that happen that uh, transport you to other places, not physically, but mentally uh, in the game. Uh, it was very cool. I have to listen to the Nintendo Shack. Uh, I'm hoping Donnie talked about it because he finished it. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll, I'll make the rare visit back to the Shack at some point when I find out what episode that was on. <laughs> um, so yeah, Perception has always been one of my favorite uh, indie games. So very easy to not even need to look up other indie games to put that on the list. Awesome. So one for me that came up right away and i know especially the end of this game is controversial and some people like it and some people don't but i really really had a great time with firewatch i mm. am someone who enjoys a good quote unquote walking simulator i thought the story of firewatch especially the voice acting was spectacular the alimas art that was in the game was great uh the music was really really good it was just I enjoyed my time with that game and would i do i need to go revisit it and play it again no i don't i don't but it's a game that I still remember. I When I started it, I played through it in a day or two. I went through it pretty quickly. Um, back in the day, I totally wrote a review for this back when PSVG first started. It was one of the first <laughs> reviews I did. I think The Witness was actually the first review, which is another great game. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed Firewatch. I think it's a game that if you want to be kind of transported to a very different world with an interesting story, uh, good music and great script and acting, uh, I definitely recommend Firewatch. I think it's pretty great. Nice. Uh, for 
originality and purely in concept, uh, Super Hot is definitely a game that I would put as one of my favorite indie games. Mm-hmm. Another game that you've never played anything like it, and I really wish I could have played this on PSVR or any VR, to mm-hmm. be honest with you. Um, just because, like, there's no way this game isn't better on VR. I can't imagine it not being better. It's pretty amazing in VR. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that'll be something that I'll always, if I don't ever get a PSVR, I will always regret that for not being able to play um, Super Hot. And there's other games that are on the PSVR I really want to play, but um, I really enjoyed my time with Super Hot, and it's a very easy recommendation for me. Awesome. How many games do you have on your list? Um, I have specific ones that I can talk about, but there's a there's like I could like rifle off a bunch. Okay, because my um, list is really really big. Yeah. But, uh, so let's do let's say we're gonna do three more, and then we can just speed through any that are remaining after that. How's yeah, that sure. sound? That okay. sounds good to me. So well, after I do this one, then we'll do three more. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so five that'll give us five. Four times. for you, three for me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the next one I'm going to talk about is one of my favorite games of the year it came out, and that is What Remains of Edith Finch, another quote-unquote walking simulator, but a game that I think tells a touching story in a unique way that has a surprisingly large number of ways to interact with and pl- actually play the game. The number of con- different control schemes and different things you do in the game is pretty significant. Uh, in some ways, it almost feels like a number of different mini games that you're playing in a world that is beautiful and surreal, telling an interesting story, and again, excellent, excellent music. So this was a game that seemed like it was in development forever, um, and some a game that I very heartily and easily recommend to people. It is a sad story. It's not super exciting. You're not going to be feeling good about life and everything when you're done, but I think definitely a story worth experiencing, and that's what remains of Edith Finch. Cool. My next one is called Rise and Shine. Uh, also a game I reviewed for PSVG way back when. Uh, it is developed by Super Mega Team, published by Adult Swim Games. Uh, it is this crazy um, run-and-gun style game. You play a young boy who with a talking gun. Uh, it is a bonkers story. It has so many video game references that you'll want to stop in like every frame of this game to see what you can find. Um, it's funny. The action is awesome. The puzzles are, are very fun and enjoyable. Uh, there's some great challenging boss fights. Um, and if I didn't say the art was incredible, the art is very good. It is something to look at. Um, it's a lot of fun and it's something I don't know if it's still on my hair drive, but if it isn't, I should reinstall it because it's a game that I feel like I could revisit constantly too. Very fun game. All right. Uh, Next one I'm going to talk about is Moss, which is available on PSVR and other VR uh, platforms out there as well. In Moss, you you play, you don't play as, but you help out Quill, a very cute, adorable mouse on an adventure to go, eh, we'll just say rediscover some things and find some things that maybe have gone lost. And this was one of the first games that really helped me to understand that while first person VR is cool, third person VR is actually really where it's at. Playing games in third person is amazing in VR. And basically what Moss is, there's a little bit of action, there's a little bit of combat, but a lot of it is a puzzle game that you are every, you kind of walk into a diorama, if you would, 
and you are this giant godlike figure that is kind of overlooking everything and you're able to peek around corners and look over the top of things to try to help Quill navigate uh, where things are going. And what's really interesting about it is you are both controlling Quill with the joist with the with the DualShock Four, but then you are looking at things and moving things with your head at the same time, which can be <laughs> really kind of trippy and challenging to do if you haven't done it before. But it's a great time. Really, really like Moss, and I'm hoping that we get there was just new content added to the base game because they were doing some special things with the uh, Oculus Quest. Uh, but as a result, the PSVR version got an update as well. I am hoping, though, that we get a chapter two because the first Moss game was very much chapter one. So I'm hoping we get chapter two or news about chapter two very, very soon. Nice. Okay. My next one is possibly on your list. It is Bastion. <laughs> it is Super definitely Giant. on my list. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. What, what is there to say about Bastion? Uh, what people know about Bastion, if you have never played it, but I've talked to people about it, is you know about the narrator of the game, mm-hmm. um, which is its charm, right? Like, that's the charm of Bastion. But if you, like, look past the narrator, which a lot of people don't do, the, the gameplay, the art style, the level design, everything in the game is incredible. Uh, top-down, Zelda-ish, beat-em-up, but so much more than that. You're creating a world. You're destroying a world. You're, uh, it's just, I don't want to say too much about the game because it's definitely spoilerific territory you can go mm-hmm. into. Um, but it's just, it's one of those games. I'll still play it. I'll still pick it up and see it like on my hard drive and be like, I'll play some. I have like 30 minutes to kill. I'll start over or I'll continue from one of my saves or something, but just a great game. Uh, super. I don't know. Like I said, with Riverbound, bo- River Riverbound, I, I even felt like it could have been by the same company because I, the elements that I enjoyed from Riverbound, I just I felt like they were taken right out of Bastion. I feel like mm-hmm. it's a game that people will, go, will be borrowing from forever yeah. because there's so much to take out of that game. Um, yeah, and I'll just stick on that theme and talk about it. Bastion is one of legitimately one of my favorite games of all time. It is always in my top five games of all time the music in it from darren corb is absolutely um, it is amazing the the music is so good the art style i just adore the way the game looks and that they have this very bright but still kind of sad at times style that really is very in your face uh the gameplay is fun and addictive and there's both some challenge to it but also the high score slash perfection chasing that can happen if you want to in certain aspects but you don't have to do that either if you don't want to and you can still experience the story there's an end that gives you a difficult and challenging question to figure out what what the quote-unquote right answer is uh i i really like bastion and super giant games the developers you know all their games are great bastion transistor pyre uh, they have hades right now which is an early access everything that studio does i find to be Pretty darn close to brilliant. So Bastion, though, absolutely, I think, a must-play. And you can play it on almost everything, and I own it on almost everything. <laughs> so <laughs> it is an absolutely phenomenal game. I, I adore it. It's actually uh, art from Bastion is the header to my Twitter. Nice. Maybe I should so, get it for the Switch. Is it on Switch? It is on Switch, yeah. Yeah, get it on the Switch. Hmm. So. Awesome. What is your next one, then, slash last one, sir? So my last one is Outlast. Mm. Uh 
just incredibly well done horror game. Um, using the element of the camcorder for basically your light and your survival, and it's a passive, for the most part, horror survival game. Mm-hmm. Um, the how scary and and insane that game is with plot twists that are so well done. It's, it's incredibly immersive. Uh, don't play it at with the well, you have to play with the lights off because it's so dark. But it's <laughs> if you play that game at nighttime, you'll you'll be remembering it in your dreams. It is just one of the best horror games ever made, and and that's in very good company. So uh, Outlast and in Outlast Two, there was a part in Outlast that it's pretty close to the beginning where you're in the house and you have to go downstairs and all the lights went out. And I just put my controller down and walked away. <laughs> I said, nope, this is not happening. I am done. I am done. I am so done. I did Resident Evil 7, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> so, awesome. Uh, my last game, I had a really hard time picking what my last one was going to be, only because um, we talked about them earlier as a studio. So I'm going to go ahead and pick a Housemark game. Mm-hmm. I think most people pick Resogun as probably their best game. But I'm actually going to pick Next Machina, which is a game that I had a ton of fun, le- a ton of fun with, and kind of has been their last real foray into arcade before they came out with their famous blog post that said arcade is dead. But when you look <laughs> at them as a studio, they had Super Stardust HD, they had Dead Nation, they had uh, Matterfall, Alienation, Next Machina, Resogun. They did so many awesome twin stick shooters that I adore that style of game. And I think for me, Next Machina was kind of that perfect blend between the constant action and particle effects and everything of Resogun kind of combined with the level design to a degree. If you've played them, this probably won't make sense, but it seems right if you really think about it. It's kind of like the, the level design of what they did in games like Dead Nation and Alien Nation. So if you put all those things together, you kind of get Next Machina. Uh, this was the game that they had done with Eugene Jarvis um, and and used him kind of as the inspiration for this game to think back of like Robotron and those classic arcade shooters. And it's a game that I just absolutely adore. I think it's a game that more people should buy. I blame Donnie for not buying this game as the reason that Housemark is no longer <laughs> making arcade games um, because he didn't buy it when it came out. So I, I told him it was his fault that they're not making these anymore. That's so, legit. Yeah, so Storm Divers <laughs> is their new game that they're making. It's a sci-fi battle royale game. That's um, really oh, different. Good. Yeah, it's really <laughs> different. Uh, they're supposedly also spinning up and, and working on some other games that they've said, but um, we don't know what those are yet. So, yeah, uh, definitely if you're a fan of Twin Six Shooters or High Score Chasing, you can't go wrong with Housemark Games. And Next Machina, I think, is my favorite, even a slightly over Resogun. So. Nice. Do you want to run off to the rest of your list? Just I mentioned them quick. Sure. Um, well, since they're most recent for me, um, the Steam World Dig and Dig Two were very mm-hmm. great, very good games. Undertale, mm. uh, Shovel Knight, uh, obviously, um, Dead Cells, which I love, um, Celeste, which I hate to love, love to hate, <laughs> whatever. However, you want to look at that. Uh, even. Um, one uh monster boy on the switch was a very good game 
um, and Cuphead. Those would be the ones I would add in there. Awesome. I also had Dead Cells and Celeste on my list. And then I would add Guacamelee and Rogue Legacy to those as well. Oh, and The Messenger. I would add The Messenger. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, man, there are so many good indie games, aren't there? It's crazy because like six years ago, maybe even less than that, there weren't that very, very many great independent games out there. It is something that has definitely grown. But hey, speaking of independent people, I know you said that we got, it sounds like, some listener questions slash feedback during the show. Why don't you hit us up with it, sir? Yeah, Blake at, at the Opalicious on Twitter hit us up while we were recording. And I just happened to look down at my phone and see that. So we asked the question about indie games, and he shot out with Tooth and Tail was my game of the year. Uh, sorry, I'm assuming he also means it's one of his favorite independent Yeah, I do remember him being really <laughs> into that and talking about that game all the time. Also because he was late to the party on Horizon. Uh, and I think Horizon is the... Oh, I know why. Because it was the same year as Horizon. Mm-hmm. Zero Dawn. Uh, he also mentions Dead Cells and Slay the Spire are also top-notch. And with Slay the Spire right now is definitely in the running for one of my five favorite games of the year. Wow, Nice. I actually just installed it also on my PC with the Xbox Game Pass. Oh. And you have it, <laughs> on, have PS4. it on the PlayStation. You have it on I'll, PS4 courtesy of Kyle Game Pass. I'll most likely play it via <laughs> Kyle Game Pass because uh, I'll be sitting at the TV. Although I should download that PlayStation um, trip pocket thing or whatever it is. I know, which Splinks talked about playing Slay the Spire on that. And I, that was so brilliant because that game would work just perfect for that. And yes. then you can get trophies, Josh. Oh, yeah, all those trophies I don't need. Wow. Uh, I'm an achievement boy. I'm an achievement boy. (laughs) Uh, He also comments, uh, well, he questions, holiday podcast? Uh, Do you play any specific games for certain holidays? Uh, Playing Hanabi, question mark? Any other fireworks themed games? Well, Hanabi is on our short, long, long short list of games to get. Uh, We have neighbors who have it that really like it. Um, I would say Lanterns is a great uh, fireworky mm-hmm. themed game, uh, which we do have. And we actually have Lanterns Dice that we need to play. So maybe we'll play Lanterns Dice. Uh, we're going away to a wedding tomorrow. Maybe I'll bring it to the hotel. That seems like a good hotel game. Um, yeah. And I don't have a specific game that I play for certain holidays. I just like to play games on holidays. Uh, maybe Dead of Winter at Christmas time. That'd be pretty cool. Uh Kyle, what about you two? All of those questions and no more. Yeah, so Hanabi I actually played last week. So big fans of Hanabi. And it's always fun when you play it with different people for the first time. Because if you're not familiar with Hanabi, listener, it is a cooperative game where you're trying to build a fireworks show. Uh, But the, the conceit or the mechanic of the game is you hold your deck of cards facing away from you. So everyone else can see what you have. But you don't know what you have, but you know what everyone else has. And then you give hints or two players about what's in their hand. There's only a certain number of hints you can give. Um, and then you have to play the cards in color by color in number order. And there's obviously only a certain number of each card. So it's very interesting when you play with people who haven't played it before or when it's a new group that you haven't played with how people choose to give hints and what they decide <laughs> is important and not important. That and sounds terrible. It's it's <laughs> The partner and I have played it enough that I basically we know how each other gives hints for this game. Yeah. So that if I like, for example, if I don't tell her anything about her hand after a round or two, it probably means nothing in her hand matters. Right. Like I'm not worried about the cards that she has or if she gets rid of those cards or anything like that, because, you know, there's 
three copies. There's three of each number one. There's three of for for two, three and four. There's two copies of it. And for five, there's only one. So if she has a five right away, I'm going to let her know that, hey, you need to hold on to this. Like this card is a five Um, or but if it's, you know, a two, a three and a four and they're all of different colors and no one else has any of the other ones. So I know the rest of them are in the deck unless maybe I have them. Um, I just don't care so much. Now, obviously, I don't know if I have them, right. but um, yeah, you know, it, you just kind of learn those things when you're playing it. So but when you play it with people who have never played it or who give hints very differently, it definitely makes the game a lot more complicated. <laughs> so but yeah, Hanabi's great. I really enjoy it. It's a, it's a regular um, a game we just play all the time. And yeah, I don't have a certain game that I play on specific holidays, though I will say the Thanksgiving holiday tends to be when we will play marathon or uh legacy style games where we try to make a huge dent in a legacy style game Um, i think you know one year for pandemic we rattled off six or seven of the months you know over the thanksgiving weekend so that kind of tends we try to play games on every holiday but that specific holiday break tends to be when we really buckle down and focus on a legacy game and try to bust all most if not all of it out so cool Awesome. Thanks for the questions, Spleeg. Indeed. And as always, listeners, we love when you ask questions, give us feedback on the topics we're talking about each week. So let us know on the social medias if you have thoughts or via email. We'd love to hear it. And I think that probably brings us to the end of our show this week. As always, we are a gaming podcast, but we do try to leave you with one thing we're into that's helping us live a well-rounded life. Something outside of games that we're currently enjoying or into. And I'm going to say, Josh... Your suggestion informed my suggestion, which I just by happenstance had watched this weekend. So our suggestions have something in common. (laughs) I know. And I had seen this before, but watched it again this weekend just by happenstance. So I was like, hey, I'll recommend it. So, Josh, take it away. What are you recommending for a well-rounded life this week? Uh, Well, I also love your recommendation. So I should say that now. So I don't interrupt you. Uh, My recommendation. So I stayed up late on a work night (laughs) to one, finish the last half of Mission Impossible Fallout. And? It was fantastic. But you're not Uh, recommending it. I mean, it's kind of a no brainer, I think. (laughs) I don't know that there's been a more consistently solid film collection than the Mission Impossible movies. Other than the second movie. It's still good, though. If you watch it, it's still a good movie. It just it doesn't fit in with the other Mission Impossible movies as far as tone. Yeah, it's super different. But it's still a good movie. It's just not... It's more like Fast and Furious had a baby with Mission Impossible. Uh, yeah, that's true. So but I still enjoy it. Anyways, this is not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the next movie. I was like, oh, I'm already up late. And I've been dying to watch this movie. Um, and somehow it wasn't spoiled for me, which is probably the more shocking part oh, that of the plot twist, <laughs> uh, is that this movie was not spoiled for me. Uh, I watched, finally, Annihilation, starring uh, Natalie Portman and Oscar Isaacs, who might come up again in the future. <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, I was very impressed with this film, I probably because I had no idea what it was about. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, I didn't even really know the basic plot, uh, to the movie. I just knew trailer, like some weird stuff's going to happen and some weird stuff definitely happens. <laughs> um, but it's also very, um, it reminded me of the arrival a lot as far as character development and how they portray characters, which I thought was great. 
Um, it was a, it was fantastically shot. Um, and it really made me appreciate Natalie Portman again. I don't know that I've seen her in things that have been blowing me away as far as her acting is. And I thought she did a great job in the movie. Um, so yeah, overall really enjoyed it. Uh, and I would recommend checking it out. I watched it on the Epics streaming service, which I don't know that everybody has, but I think it's on Amazon prime as well. Is it? Okay. I I get it. I get it through my key, my internet subscription, but, um, if you have Epics, it's on Epics right now. Yeah, it was on Netflix and I believe it is now on Amazon prime. If I recall. Nice. Um, and going in tandem, a movie I watched again this weekend, which was one of my favorite movies of 2014, which is kind of ridiculous to think this movie is that old. Our movies both had two Star Wars people in them. I know, right? <laughs> so the movie I'm picking is Ex Machina, uh, which is actually the same writer and director, Alex Garland as Annihilation. This was kind of his breakthrough movie, if you would, as far as uh, writing and directing goes. Um, He had written 28 Days Later. um, And I think he also wrote like Dread. And I think he actually even maybe had wrote. Hey, Dread was uh, pretty good. What's that? Dread was pretty good. Yeah. And I think he actually wrote DMC, the video game. Oh, really? I think I could be wrong about that. I think that's true, though. But anyway, yeah, neither here nor there. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so Ex Machina uh, is a movie about a... Uh, computer programmer who basically and this is very spoiler free or very top surface first 10 minutes of the movie wins a contest at his company to go to the founder's place and uh, learn some stuff about artificial intelligence um and i'll leave it pretty much at that and say nothing more than that uh it is an excellent movie like i said one of my favorite movies of 2014 um it also (laughs) has oscar isaac uh dom gleason alicia vikander is in it so it is a really good movie. The special effects are quite stellar, uh, but the story about artificial intelligence, how it works, um, all the things like that, I think are are quite interesting. Um, so I think Ex Machina, definitely worth a watch. If you are into sci-fi at all, if you're into the ideas of artificial intelligence, I cannot recommend it enough. Hey, he's, he wrote the screenplay for the Halo movie. Yeah, he is. I know he is. He is uh, now attached to the upcoming Halo. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, DMC. He wrote Enslaved Odyssey to the West, the video game. Oh, there you go. Okay, I knew he had some had done some. Oh, he wrote one things. of my favorite sci-fi movies, Sunshine. Oh, there you go. I was like, I know he's done some interesting stuff in addition. Oh, so. And he wrote the beach. <laughs> wah, wah. Well, you know, everyone has this. <laughs> um. But yeah, so Josh, real quick, between Ex Machina and Annihilation, which one do you prefer? Ex Machina is the better movie. Ex Machina is a fantastic movie. I agree. Uh, But not to take anything away from Annihilation. Yeah, Annihilation is very, very very good. Yep. I think think more people would like Ex Machina than Annihilation, but I think Annihilation does some things that are very cool and unique and I still think are worth watching, even if you don't end up liking the movie a ton at the end. I mean, I recommend this guy's written collection i yeah. mean 28 days later 28 weeks later yeah except skip the beach <laughs> so anyway those are our recommendations ex machina ex machina and annihilation have yourself uh alex garland movie weekend all right josh with that why do you say we wrap this show up there is a video game scene in the beach oh Maybe yeah watch it he's like mario while he's yeah yeah yeah, yeah. under the influence of things uh, things yeah I'm going to rewatch the beach. Maybe it's not as bad as I think. (laughs) 
as I remember the worst part of the movie. Right. Ah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Segway complete. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. Uh, in addition to finding us on Twitter and Instagram at Board with Fiji, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Board with Fiji. So feel free to give us a five-star rating over there. Also, if you want to communicate in the more long form, you can. We have an email for that. It is boardwithvg at gmail.com. Send us your fanfic. We're going to do some special things with Paul's. Uh, Send us emails. Send us games. You want to send us some games? Use that email, boardwithvg at gmail.com. We tag our stuff with hashtag boardwithvg. So please use that hashtag on your social media posts so we can see what you're up to. Uh, Whatever podcast service you are listening to us on, we encourage you to give us a stellar rating. That is whether you're downloading us from the PSVG feed, the Dice Tower Network feed, or our very own standalone Board with Video Games podcast feed. You can find me on Xbox Live, PlayStation Network, at Why So Serious. That's S-I-R-R-I-U-S. I I almost just spelled the whole thing out, and that would have been (laughs) silly. Uh, Kyle, where can they find you? So you can find me at all of the usual places. Twitter, Instagram, PlayStation Network, Xbox Live, BoardGameGeek, all at PsychoCross, C-Y-C-O-C-R-O-S-S. As always, if you have suggestions for future topics, be sure to reach out to us on the social media because we want to talk about what you want to hear about. Next week, we will hopefully have a very special guest, so be on the lookout for that episode. We'll obviously be plugging in a ton as we get closer to that. We just want to make sure all that stuff works out. But remember, everyone, whether it be board games or video games, never stop gaming.